Welcome to the Whole Life Healing Podcast with Dr. Alexander Lloyd, best-selling author and founder of the Revolutionary Healing Codes Technique. Each week, Dr. Alex shares principles and methods from psychology, energy medicine, natural medicine, and spirituality to help you reduce stress, heal emotional and physical issues, and remove the barriers that hold you back from happiness and success. Join us as we learn to live our happiest, healthiest, and most successful lives. Here's Dr. Alex. Hi, Dr. Alex here. If you like the show today, or any day, I would love it if you took about 10 seconds to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I've been doing this for about 14 years now, and I spend hundreds of hours every year in preparation and recording the show. And if you like it, if it's worth your time, if you think it might benefit others, I would love it if you could leave a review to recommend to your friends or just recommend it to your friends that could benefit from listening to the show. Thank you so very much. Since we are going to be talking about issues of health and well-being, we wanted to make sure that you understand that this information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd and welcome to The New Jesus. And I want to start this week, kind of where I started last week, but we're going to a different place. Are you free in Christ or are you not? Okay? That's what I want you to be asking yourself this week. So, you know, when you have a, a few minutes to sit quietly, close your eyes, put your head back, pray and meditate a little bit, just ask yourself that question. Do I feel free? Or do I feel like I'm in some kind of stuckness, some kind of bondage, some kind of something that's less than being free and experiencing love, joy, peace, and pain on a daily basis? Rather than anxiety, anger, unforgiveness, rejection, low self-worth, and pain on a daily basis. The first one is freedom in Christ. The second one is captivity and a misunderstanding, I believe, of the way God set up the kingdom, the church, um, all of this to work. Okay? So, are you free? Do you feel free? Chances are, if you don't feel free, you're not. Doesn't mean you're not saved. You might be saved and still not be free in your mind and heart. Okay? And, and that's where we're going today. Okay. Let's start with the, um, the postulate from Harry. Urgency comes easy when the consequences are immediate, as in work or in an emergency. But the truly important jobs of self-improvement, of living well, of cultivating good relationships, seems content to wait for us because they have no clear deadline and are never completely finished. You ever thought about that that way? One of the great steps in creating a meaningful life is in recognizing on a deep instinctive level the daily urgency of these tasks. Meaning, 
um, self-improvement, living well, and cultivating good relationships. Okay, let me go through it all at once now. Urgency comes, which gets us off track for a lot of us almost every day. Uh, the top-selling book of all time in business was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And maybe the main point he makes in that entire book is the tyranny of the urgent, the urgent versus the important. We tend to focus almost exclusively on the urgent rather than the important. And before we know it, we end up a year later or decades later or at the end of our life wondering what was all that about because I still don't feel free and love joy and peace. I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel or just this is as far as I can get. I, it's not really that great. It's not horrible either, but I think this is about the best I can do and they just sort of stop with some apathy and frustration and say, okay, I'll just stay here. I've tried over and over and over and this is the best I can do. Well, I believe there's a good chance the reason that is the case is they were being deceived and not understanding God's whole truth and the way he made it to work for us, okay? So, one more time all the way through. Urgency comes easy when the consequences are immediate, as in work or an emergency. But the truly important jobs of self-improvement, living well, and cultivating good relationships seem content to wait for us because they have no clear deadline and are never truly finished. One of the great steps in creating a meaningful life is in recognizing on a deep, instinctive level the daily urgency of the tasks that are the most important in our life and the ones that we will either feel successful or a failure when we get to the end of our life, okay? All right, so this is where I pulled the board in, and this is where we were last week. Are you controlled by lies or are you free in Christ? Very brief, uh, maybe record-setting brief uh, review today. Um, we talked about how there's the deadfall, and there's the walking down the road with the Lord in love, joy, peace, and pain. All right? And this one has more pain, but without the love, joy, and peace. With anger, irritation, frustration, guilt, shame, etc. Okay? Are you investing in relationships and taking your thoughts captive? Or are you investing in money, seek pleasure, avoid pain, what's in it for me? and your thoughts are taking ca you captive. And, and we uh, discussed in, from Scripture the commandments of if you have these kind of thoughts, you've got to take them captive, give them to God, to the obedient, obedience of Christ. Blasphemous thoughts, condemning thoughts, confusing thoughts, fearful, haughty, lying, obsessive, negative, jealous, guilt and shame, suicidal, Fantasy thoughts. Oh, what a huge category. Perfectionistic, legalistic thoughts. Unprotected thoughts. Religious thoughts. Thoughts of regret. Distracting thoughts. Defensive thoughts. Angry thoughts. People-pleasing thoughts. And thoughts of loneliness. Okay. Uh, probably any negative thought you could ever have in your life is in there somewhere, and God says don't do that. All right? 
What does he say do? Think about these things. What is true, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise. Uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and heart in Christ Jesus. God will give you a new heart and the mind of Christ and the righteousness of Christ and the peace of, that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But how do you do that? you have to wait on the Lord. Remember, we can't do it with our willpower. Wait on the Lord, exchange my strength for His, I receive dying grace, and the ability to do what I could not do before. So, where before I tried my hardest maybe, and it failed, or I tried my hardest and it succeeded, but it succeeded with me feeling miserable inside, to success with love, joy, and peace, or pain with love, joy, and peace. But either option is better on God's side than on Satan and our flesh's side. Okay? So, which are you doing? Alright? Um, we talked about meditation, and it's mainly a distraction. God gives us meditation that's not a distraction, that has real power. Because it's not just not distracting, it's also real, as opposed to just sort of made up. All right? Um, you have to heal the intention. Uh, we talked about changing your channel uh, and a number of other things. Okay? So I'm, I'm going to stop there for the review for last week. And let's move to this week. Okay. If you also remember from last week, um, or a couple of weeks ago, we have the zero minus 10 to plus 10 kind of positive-negative ratio inside our heart and mind. And in 1986, when I did the Fruits of the Spirit test to see, okay, am I on the love side or the selfish side, okay? In 1986, I scored a minus 6 on a minus 10 to plus 10, and I was miserable had all, all, all those negative thoughts, probably, on a regular basis. Negative emotions, negative feelings, health problems, um, uh, hair trigger anger, etc. Alright? And today in 2001, on the minus 10 to plus 10, I'm at a plus 7. And still going up a little bit, slowly but surely. Alright? And really, uh, almost completely without those problems I had 30 years ago in 1986, okay? Um, which was absolutely, totally life-changing for me. Now, you may be thinking, boy, you really worked hard over those 30-something years. To no, I really didn't. It was done to me, in me, through me, for me. I was changed by God through prayer. Um, and, and, and in conjunction with my relationship with Jesus as my Lord, Savior, Bridegroom, High Priest, etc. All right. So, this week we're continuing. Are you living free? Or are you living in bondage or captivity? The earliest memory I have of my life. I, uh, I, I don't know how old I was, but I remember being upstairs in our house in East Tennessee, little bitty small house, and I'm upstairs, and it had been winter time, and all of a sudden I feel this really warm sunshine on my face. Oh, and it feels so good. 
it, I, I just remember almost, I, I guess I was walking and stepped in front of a window where the sun was shining in and it hit me and I turned and then it hit my whole face and then it's hitting me in my chest and oh, it just feel, it felt so warm and if, like a warm hug from God kind of, you know, after a long, hard winter. So I started following the light, okay? Uh, went down the stairs. I'm sure I opened my eyes to go down the stairs. Uh, but I was really enjoying this, and I was just following the light. You know, we've talked some about near-death experience, coming to the light. Well, I didn't hear anything like that, but I was following that warm, huggy light, all right? And I went right down the stairs, right out the side door of the house, left the door wide open, and I am just tootling as fast as I can down the road with the light on my face and, and just happy, almost euphoric. And then I ran out of my diaper. <laughs> and, and about a second later, my mom grabbed me from the rear and, Alex, what are you doing? You're going to get yourself killed out here. And, you know, it's, grabs the diaper off the, the ground, has me under her, her arm, you know, going back to the house. And then I get in and get a lecture and she cleans me up and everything's okay. But that, that's, the, that's the first memory of my life. And it's a memory of freedom and how wonderful that feels, okay? What is freedom? Freedom means I'm not captive. Freedom means um, I can go pretty much where I want, I can do pretty much what I want to do, and Scripture says I am free in Christ, okay? And it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set you free. And Paul said to the Galatians, who has bewitched you into believing another gospel? They were going back into legalism, okay? Um, Paul addressed, um, was Abraham justified by what he did or because he believed? Well, the right answer, based on the old law, would seem to be by what he did. But Paul said no. It was because of what he believed, all right? Which, which means that even if men didn't understand it, to God, it's always been about what we believe and, the, and our heart, which he says in Scripture is what he looks at, what he judges, what he wants, okay? So are you free in your life, in your marriage? Are you free in your work? Are you free in leisure time? Are you free when uh, you're just by yourself and no one's looking? And are you still dedicated and living in love and by what you believe is right? Or when no one's looking, are you living another life? Do you have one life that is image that you show to other people, but then there's another you that doesn't feel quite so good inside that you're trying to hide? Well, all of those things apply to freedom versus captivity or bondage. The Corinthian church, we've talked about this, was about to split over um, you should do this or you don't have to do this between the Jews and Gentiles. And they brought Paul in to decide. And guess what? Paul says, if you want to do it, do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it, basically. But the one thing you have to do is love and accept each other. Okay?
So, um, what is really God's design for us in the New Covenant era versus what is left over and still pulling us down from the Old Covenant and all its rules? Well, I want to take a look at that today and, and for you to see where you are. And today it is especially important for me to remind you and maybe even ask you to say in your mind or out loud, I have the right to disagree with anything and everything Alex says. And I mean that and I'm serious about that. Don't believe anything because I say it. Uh, maybe take what I say and then go prove it or disprove it for yourself. Okay, because you're not going to be judged by what I do or don't do. You're going to be judged by your life. All right, so you need to search out the things I'm saying too, not just the way you've grown up and all that. All right, so are you free or not? The first thing, we've talked about reactivation of memories, and I drew the picture of the person, kind of a stick person, not a very good picture, and uh, how... Everything that comes into the senses goes down into the heart is in a microsecond compared to all billions of memories we have from our life, including unconscious ones, including hundreds of years back into our ancestry. And our unconscious mind in a microsecond makes a determination about what we should do or not do that is not really about what's happening in our life. It's about our programming on our human hard drive called the spiritual heart, all right? So whatever comes out may be the truth, it may be a lie, it may be love-based, it may be fear-based, because both of those are in the heart, all right? That's where the conscience is, that's where my spirit is, it's where the spirit of God resides, but it's also where seek pleasure and avoid pain is. In Genesis, the very first time the heart is mentioned, says it is inclined toward evil from its youth. So they both have to be in there for the choice of love to be real. or it, Because if you don't have the choice, you eliminate love. And we talked about those um, eight or nine things in life that are kind of God's rules of how to live this life successfully the way he intended in love, joy, peace, and pain rather than fear, anger, unforgiveness, and pain. Okay? And, but, but not many people I've worked with, at least when they came to me, were living that way. And that's believers too. They were living in, uh, under the old law, the majority of them, even though they would tell you they believe the new law, internally they were captive to that fear, anxiety, stress, and didn't know how to get out of it. Okay, we're trying to do that. And I, and I believe there are ways to get out of it that God put on earth for us to use, like vitamin C and uh, some mechanical things we've talked about here, okay? And then there's also God just touching you and doing it like that. Uh, there's having a near-death experience and being transformed like that a lot of times. But we can also... Choose. Okay, God promised it. I believe in God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm going that way. And my, my, my four steps are, number one, I'm right with God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Number two, an intention only for good in everything and anything, every moment of the day. 
to do my three to do my absolute best with everything I do every day. And number four, invest in relationships and help as many people as I can. That is the path, biblically, I believe, to freedom and love, joy, peace, and pain rather than fear, anxiety, stress, anger, unforgiveness, and pain. All right. So that reactivation, when something happens out here and, I, and, and it's, it's uh, compared with every memory I have in a split second, and then out of that comes to my conscious mind a, an action, a thought, a feeling, an emotion, whatever, that I am left to deal with. Either, okay, I'm, I feel like I should do that, either I'm going to do that or I'm not. And last week we talked about my example of stealing the candy bar from the 5 and 10, and it was like I had, you know, the devil on one shoulder and an angel on another shoulder, but that angel and devil thing is also hormonal, we talked about that last week in the brand new research on pornography that uncovered something that we've never known before, which is when you imagine doing something that you believe you shouldn't do, that it causes all the positive hormones and all the negative hormones to be released at the same time, which is a tidal wave and usually flattens me. It feels euphoric. It feels evil. It feels exciting. It, 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 I can have so much cortisol and adrenaline, I'm almost literally jittery and, and, and feel like a not-so-great electric vibration in me or something that, does, that feels too much, okay? Like, kind of like I'm hanging on to an electric fence or something. Not near that extreme, but in an emotional kind of parallel way, all right? Um, And that's not freedom, okay? I am captive. Remember, if I go, this is me personally, if I go more than like two minutes straight participating with one of these negative thoughts that Scripture says, don't do these, change the channel to whatever's true, lovely, excellent, etc., put on the full armor of God, etc., okay? But if I don't do that, and I take ownership of this, which means it takes ownership of me, then I've got the tidal wave and I'm, I'm almost a puppet now. Okay, I've gone too far. I'm in quicksand. I'm stuck in the bear trap, the deadfall. Okay, so, but that reactivation can be anything. So, so for instance, maybe, maybe outwardly I told you about hope who was terrified of going to a party, like it was life or death, going to a party, okay? Um, well, obviously, her reactivation was not from a party that had a bad thing happen. It was simply from being around people that she didn't know very well, who she felt like were not real kind to her. Well, what situation in life could that apply to for her? Any situation with other people. I mean, a party, not a party, going to lunch, seeing someone in the grocery store. I mean, that, that could be reactivated almost in any situation. 
I told you about one of mine where my dad, when he found out he had heart disease, started hitting me and at the same time saying, Alex, you're never going to amount to anything. All right? Well, that ruled the next 15 years of my life in a very negative way. And my behavior and attitude dramatically changed and everyone around me knew it and, and told me about it, okay? And later especially, okay? Well, did, I, did that memory only come back up when someone was hitting me or, or about to hit me? No! It came up in almost every situation every day of my life because it had to do with the people I trusted. It had to do with me and my worth and identity. It had to do with pain. It had to do with the uh, pronouncement. I'm never going to amount to anything. It, I mean, there was hardly anything in my life it didn't apply to. Okay? So this reactivation is not just, okay, if it was a party, then the reactivation will be a party. Or if someone was hitting you, it'll be about... No, 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 no. It can be about almost anything. Because the unconscious mind is in charge of that. And the number one mandate of the unconscious mind is to keep you physically alive. So it doesn't care if it overreacts. If it overreacts, you're still alive. And it has kept its prime mandate. If it underreacts, and by some wild situation, you end up severely hurt or dead, the unconscious mind has, has let the prime mandate fall, which it can't do. Okay? So it'll overreact all the time. So the reactivation can be anything, typically. Okay? So be aware of that. It's not just the same thing. Oh, this is weird. I'm in this situation, but what I'm feeling isn't consistent with this situation, and I'm in a party, so the thing that's in me causing me to feel this way must be about a party. No, 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 no. It can be about anything. So just take the negative emotion or feeling. Let's say my negative uh, feeling related to my dad hitting me was um, low self-worth. Not only because my dad's hitting me and he never had and I thought he loved me, but also he's saying I'll never amount to anything. Okay? So anything related to my worth, identity, how good or person I am or not measuring up, any of those would be relevant to that memory, okay? So the reactivation can be anything. So take the feeling and emotion or thought, one of, one of these negative thoughts, and then track it back, go back and say, okay, when is the biggest or first time I remember feeling low self-worth? Or in Hope's case, afraid of people that I don't know well. Um, What's the first or earliest? And then that is a memory that has a human hard drive virus in it that has to be changed. And we've been talking about how to do that. All right? So when that one's no longer bothering you, the one maybe when you were six years old um, about strangers or people you don't know well hurting you, or with me about self-worth, okay? Um, when that gets reactivated, I think it's about what's going on now. And that's the Satan's trick. He can talk to me in my voice. And I think it's just me thinking. It's actually him deceiving me. Trying to get me to go somewhere I shouldn't go. Okay? So, 
when the reactivation comes, take the thought, emotion, feeling, negative ones, and go back and say, what's the first or earliest memories with those? Start working on those. When, when one's no longer bothering you, go to another one until you don't have any more self-worth memories that are still bothering you. You don't have any more afraid of strangers or people you don't know very well. They're, they've all been healed. They've all been resolved. They've all had the lie pulled out of them, which I believe is what Paul talks about in Romans 7 as sin living in me when he says, it, it wasn't me that did it. It was sin living in me, which is a wrong belief, a lie you're believing. Who's the father of lies? Satan. Okay. Also, if you remember, I've talked about the popsicle lady, okay? The popsicle lady's issue was being successful at her high-paying, high-powered Wall Street job. Where it came from was five years old at lunchtime with her mom not giving her a popsicle, okay? So that's a really good example. The thoughts, emotions, and feelings she had had nothing to do with a popsicle. It had to do with her work and how she felt internally about herself. Where it was coming from was a memory when she was five with her mom at lunchtime with a popsicle. So when we healed that memory, the five-year-old, her issues on Wall Street went away and she got a big promotion, went through the roof. Stuff she was always capable of, but those lies were holding you back, just like we've talked about. A lie detector test is a stress test. So whether you think a lie, participate with a lie, tell a lie, it spikes your stress. And it'll tend to spike the stress in the person you tell that lie to as well. Okay, because of the action at a distance thing that we talked about last week. All right, so I assume if you're here, you are wanting to be, or, or, or you are, a follower of Jesus, that's what I call myself, or a Christian, all right? I don't call myself a Christian. I got that from my spiritual mentor who said that about himself. Why? Because if you ask 100 people what that word Christian means, you'll get probably at least 50 different answers. And a bunch of those I disagree with. And I would vehemently say, that is not me. That is not what I believe. Okay, And, I, and I've talked a lot about some of those things I did believe growing up that I don't believe at all now. Okay, So what do you believe about you about church, about scripture, about the kingdom, about how this life is supposed to be lived, about what God wants from you, your place, your purpose, your meaning, uh, all of that, all of that. Okay, well, let's take a look, okay? How many times does scripture say, go to church? You ever thought about that? Uh, when I was growing up, going to church was a heaven or hell issue. If you miss church, that's a sin and you are now not saved or very possibly not saved. That was always a little gray, all right? But anyway, that's a, that's a heaven or hell issue. So it must say it a bunch, right? Not a single time. Scripture never says anywhere, not one time, go to church. Now, when I started thinking about that years ago, I thought, boy, that's kind of interesting that that's a heaven or hell issue 
And God doesn't tell us to do it a single time. Would I do that as a parent to my kid? Say, okay, there's an issue here, and if you step over the line, you are going to get a big-time serious consequence, but I don't tell him what the thing is or what the consequence will be. It's just, I've got a thing that you better not do. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but if you do it, you're in big... It'd be crazy. You would never do your kid like that. Well, God never says one time, not once, go to church. All right? Does that mean you, you, that church is wrong? Absolutely not. And I'm going to address that, that in a minute, too. It's fine to go to church. Great to go to church. Okay? If you're free in Christ... You're free in Christ, okay? And you may remember one of my favorite preachers said uh, the New Testament and, and the Gospels and Scripture tell us a lot of things to do or not to do. They tell us how, when, where to do those things. Almost none. Why? Because it's up to us. That's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. Do it if you want to do it. Don't do it if you don't want to do it. But you have to to love and accept each other, okay? Jesus, is there a greatest commandment? Yeah. Yeah, there's not only a greatest commandment, but if you do this, you've kept the whole law, and it's love. Against such there is no law. And John said you will know them. Their ID card of who they are is love. Your ID card is love. Well, do you have an ID? Or, or, or is love kind of a foreign thing to you? You're so into seek pleasure, avoid pain, and what's in it for me? Try the love. It feels a whole lot better and has a lot better results. Okay. Scripture, set, scripture says to love and positive things about love, and some of them I just mentioned, 898 times in the New Living Version. It's, I think, 500 and something times in the NIV. Fear not, 365 times. 57 times in John alone does Jesus talk about love. Okay? The kingdom is mentioned 162 times in the New Testament. Jesus talks about the kingdom 53 times in the Gospels alone. Jesus talked about church. He mentioned the word church twice. Woo, wait a minute. He mentioned church twice, and he mentioned the kingdom 53 times in the Gospels alone, not counting the other times that in the rest of the New Testament that the disciples and apostles talked about the kingdom? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Jesus said about church, the, the underlying meaning of church, the word is ecclesia, is a community. And, the king, and to God, the kingdom is the community of believers. I believe the kingdom includes believers in eternity, Right now, my mom and dad possibly, okay? Maybe not, but I, I, I believe that. I, I think that, okay? Church is just more a gathering. It doesn't mean... Uh, the word ecclesia, we'll get to that in a minute, doesn't mean church. It just means a gathering. 
And then it doesn't even have to be a gathering to talk about spiritual stuff. It can be a gathering of the government, okay? It can be a gathering that's just purely social, all right? That's the word ecclesia. It means called out, a gathering, but it does not mean church. But it, it is the more typical word in Scripture for church. Jesus mentioned it twice and the kingdom 53 times. It appears to me that the church is primarily external. We don't go to church, we are the church. The church in Nashville, the church in Chicago, the church in New York. Well, who is that? To me, I believe it's the believers, the followers of Jesus in those areas. And then there's the Church of the United States, the Church of Europe, the Church of Individual Cities in Europe, you know, things like that, okay? Um, but that's more external. The kingdom, I believe, is more internal and includes our heart, our minds, uh, maybe believers who have passed on, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, etc. Um, we have spent in Christendom trillions of dollars that now exist all over the world in buildings to worship a God who says, I dwell not in temples made with hands. And God goes on to say, where your priorities should be, where your intentions should be, are the hungry, the thirsty, the sick, the elderly, etc. Is that where our focus is? Or is our focus on attendance and buildings and ties, which we'll get to in a second? Okay, well, let's, let's get to it now. Um, the tithe, according to George Barna and Frank Viola, who wrote a wonderful book called Pagan Christianity, I would highly recommend. Um, Mr. Barna is kind of the Gallup of Christendom. You've seen Gallup polls. Well, George Barna has done that for years. Very highly respected historian. Uh, one of the most highly respected in Christendom. And Frank Viola uh, started the house church movement, I believe, in California. Uh, based more on the how the Jerusalem early church actually operated rather than what we've evolved to, which is more of the Roman Catholic Catholicism mandated, you'll do it this way or we'll kill you, kind of political and governmental movement, okay, that was called the Christian church, okay? There's not a single building that we've ever been able to find until after 300 AD, which is around the time that Constantine, because he had a vision that if he put up the Christian flag in a battle, they would win the battle. So that's what he did, to win the battle. And they won the battle, and so then he decides, okay, that, that one worked pretty good. Let's stick with what's working. We'll make Christendom the official religion. So they meet together, to basically vote based on political issues, based on monetary issues, based on social issues, and probably based on some spiritual issues too. They met to vote on what Christianity would be. What, what did they decide? Attendance is absolutely necessary. Tithing is huge. You have to tithe. You cannot be saved 
in a lot of situations throughout the history going back hundreds and thousands of years. If you don't tithe, according to the institutional coming from Catholic Church, according to George Barna and Frank Viola, the tithe from the Old Testament was a tax, much like our income tax. And some of it went for uh, uh, government appointees and, and, you know, kind of for their pay, like a senator or congressman or somebody like that. And some of it went for social issues to help people who are hungry and poverty in the city and things like that. Almost exactly like our income tax today, which has all those same components, all right? But according to Barna and Viola, the tithe was a tax, pure and simple, and there is no instance in the New Testament of anyone tithing. Now, are we supposed to give as we feel it in our hearts? Absolutely. And there's examples of Paul saying, hey, the Jerusalem church uh, or the Roman church uh, has a great need. One of the biggest ones was the Jerusalem. And so he goes around gathering money and they give money and, and which, which would fit, you know, lay by in store on the first day of the week for people who are less fortunate than you. And we'll go to that in a minute, all right? Um, and Paul congratulates them for their generosity after that happens. But that is not called a tithe. It's a special offering to meet needs, and the people gave, all right? But in the New Testament, there's no evidence of tithe. Now, there is a wonderful scripture, you can't outgive God. If you give, he will give. Yeah, that's great, and that's as purposed in your heart and all that, and I believe that's true, but it's not tithing out of guilt and duty because this 10%, if I don't do it, is a mortal sin and may damn me to hell. No, 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 no. No, that's old covenant kind of even thinking, all right? And in the new covenant, give as you feel and purposed in your heart with a joyful heart, etc. All right, well, who do we give to? We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, how many scriptures say don't drink alcohol? I grew up being told and believing that drinking any amount of alcohol was a mortal sin. How many times does scripture say don't drink? Zero. Never says it one time. 75 times it says don't get drunk. All right? And, and there's people drinking all through scripture. Old Testament and new. Okay? Um, ah, one of the, one of the, um, one of the biggest have-tos in, in all of, um, the current church, the way I grew up, probably the way a lot of you grow up, we already mentioned it, was attendance to church, go to church, all right? Typically, the proof text for that is Hebrews 10. And the word there, forsake not the assembling of the saints together, the word is, and I'm not even sure how to pronounce this, I'm not a scholar. Uh, you want to try that five times fast? Apisanog, 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 something like that, all right? 
That does not mean go to church. That's not even the word for church. That's not the ecclesia word, which is church, community, which could be social, government, or religious. Peter said that, all right? It's not even that word in that scripture. It's this word. Well, what does this word mean? It means the gathering of the saints, the believers, in the last days to meet Jesus in the air and go to heaven, okay, with him. Don't forsake that. Don't miss that. Don't keep that as your kind of winning the game priority, all right? And so prioritize what should be prioritized. And that takes us back to our postulate for today, the urgent versus the important, okay? Um, that gathering in the last days is the most important thing probably of our life because that's where we either win or lose this life. I mean, I mean, we have the golden ticket maybe for 30 years, but that's when we cash it in and it becomes totally real, all right? Um, so the proof text for going to church doesn't even use the word church. It's a completely different word with a completely different meaning. Okay, so when is ecclesia used? We said Jesus only said the word two times. One of them was to Peter when he said, Who do people say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter said. And Jesus immediately said, That did not come from you. That came from my Father. So there you go. There's the angel on your shoulder. There's the thought from God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and maybe angels, I don't know. All right? So to Jesus, I believe, from Scripture, he only used the word twice. That means the community, the external group of believers or not believers. That could be social. That could be government. That could be religious. All right? But it's not talking about church the way we think of as church. It's a gathering. It could be many different types of meetings. But it does not mean, in any case, go to church or you will go to hell. Okay? No, 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 no. That's never there. Not told to do it one time, and when it is used, it has a different meaning than that. All right? And the, and the, and the one that does say that, forsake not, this word is about making sure you're in that group with the golden ticket when that time comes, keeping your priorities right, the important over even the urgent. Um, so what does Scripture say as far as what God wants? All right, not the attendance and tithe and um, and you know drinking and all this stuff, but what does God say is required and He wants, and it's what He judges us based on. Glad you asked. Um, wicked imaginations, mischief, lies, and troublemakers. God hates those things, scripturally. Okay? Is that attendance? Is that drinking? Is that go to church? Is that tithe? No, it's none of that. Buildings. How about a paid minister on staff? You, you will not find that in here. You won't find a paid minister on staff. Does that mean a paid minister on staff is wrong? No, 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 no. Again, new wineskins. It's up to us to do it, 
the way that it works in our culture with, with these people praying for leading and guidance by the Holy Spirit and doing it that way. But I do believe that our salaries, and very often salaries even more than the people that attend that church make, have ruined a lot of our witness with the outside world. They look at us pleading. I, I, I saw, oh man, this really is one of my hot buttons. I saw a preacher on TV, uh, this was probably about a year ago, who was asking people to give till it hurts because his Learjet had gotten old and he needed a new one. And so they need to send in all the money they can till it hurts for his new Learjet. Okay? Well, that's not for me to judge. That's for God to judge. But I will tell you, when I hear that, it gives me chills and not the good kind. And, and I think things like that are one of the reasons that we don't have much credibility with the world. John said you'll know them by their love. They've watched us, but what they've gotten for the most part with most of us is not love. It's selfish. It's what's in it for me. It's condemning. It's harsh. It's, it's, and, and none of those things are from God and Scripture. Okay? 898 times love. Okay. All right, let's move on. Micah 6, verse 8. Three things the Lord wants. Love, uh, justice, love, kindness, walk humbly with your God. John 1, walk in the light as he is in the light, and the blood of Christ will continually cleanse you from all sin and transgression. Um, you will be in a grace state, okay? The windshield wiper, wiping away the rain as soon as it hits the windshield. Standing in a shower and somebody throws mud on you, but the water just immediately, as fast as they throw it on you, wash it off. Those are kind of the word pictures for walking in the light from John 1 and being in the grace state. God's entrance exam to heaven. You were a stranger. I was a stranger and you took me in. I had no clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you, I was in prison and you visited me. Where's attendance? Where's tithe? Where's drinking or not drinking? Nowhere. Okay? Do it the way it works for you, but you have to love and accept each other. Okay? Um, James 1, pure and faultless religion is this. And I, I believe God put that there. I run from religion. I, I, most religion, I believe, is about power, money, greed, um, control, okay? I believe what this passage is saying is, okay, you're determined to do religion, this would be pure and faultless religion. And it has nothing to do with attendance or uh, drinking or tithing or going to a building with a certain name on it or dressing a certain way or having a certain paid pastor or staff 
or um, the beauty of the furnishings or the location of the building. No, 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 no. Um, taking care of orphans, widows, and keeping your heart pure, which is what we've talked about. Either God touching me and healing these internal lies or me doing it manually through things that he's put in nature, etc. Okay? And in 1986, this is exactly where I was. Um, mortal sin not to go to church, focused on fear-based things, not love, uh, all about the church, not the kingdom, which seems a reverse from Scripture. Um, the church is all that matters, uh, all about buildings, and as soon as we get anything going, we want to build a new building. Uh, how come as soon as we get something going, we don't say, hey, let's meet in the field, or let's meet wherever someone will let us meet, or, or maybe we have a benefactor who will pay for it out of their pocket without um, us having to pay for it out of funds given to help people. That's one of the things that was so shocking to Hope and I at one church, at one congregation where we visited for about six years. They had a really high budget. It was a, a large church, a couple thousand people. And they had the highest budget I'd ever seen. I mean, millions and millions and millions and millions a year. And um, out of all that money, you know how much went to help people for mission work, for to help the poor and hungry? Zero. Everything that went in that plate for the contribution, the general contribution, went to building, grounds, salaries, advertising, stuff like that. When they, were, when they did something, and they did this maybe a couple of times a year, when they did, wanted to do something to like, for like mission work or to help uh, the orphans, widows, um, strangers, people who need clothes, who are sick, whatever, they would take up a special contribution. None of the basic money went to that. And that shocked us because millions was going to the church, to the buildings and the, you know, all that stuff, the staff and all, and none was going to these things that God says is his entrance exam to heaven, what he is all about, what he hates, um, it, it, it was upside down. And I believe in a lot of cases today, it still is. Okay, so what's my point? Is my point quit going to church, quit giving money to help people? Um, no, of course not, okay? But I think we need to realize what the church really is and what it isn't. It's supposed to be for our benefit, not something that puts us in a cage, all right? Um, so yeah, we're supposed to get together. We're supposed to love each other so much, we can't wait to get together, all right? And I believe that's how it was by and large with the early church. Uh, that is not how I've felt about church in my life. I, I dreaded it. And one thing really fascinating, we're, we're almost done with this well, I shouldn't say we're almost done. We're a good ways into the COVID, and it's declining. It's not gone yet. But an interesting thing is as COVID has gone on about, um, oh, a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer now, 
I've probably talked to 50 people who would call themselves believers, Christians, followers of Jesus, whatever, who have told me, almost embarrassed, you know, I hate to say this, but one of the things that's really been a positive to me and my family about COVID is not having to go to church. Wow. Because it seems from the early church that they loved getting together. They couldn't wait to get together. It was the highlight of their day, the highlight of their week, the highlight of their year, the highlight of their life to get together with these people in a loving, I got your back community that's about love, joy, peace, okay? And, and God's power to live our life, all right? But growing up for me and every friend I had that, that I talked to about this, we hated going to church. I mean, we liked some of the activities, like after service was over, sometimes they'd have a meal that was good. Sometimes we'd change clothes and play softball. That was fun. Sometimes we would go to camp for a week. That was one of my favorite things, okay? But actually, the church part of it, service, I didn't know anyone who enjoyed it, all right? And, and, and I would have thought 50, 60 years later that might not be true anymore, but evidently with COVID, it is. And, well, why is that? I believe it's because we're not doing church the way God designed it. Uh, the early church, the first church building is in 300-something A.D. after Constantine mandated, okay, here's what we decided Christianity is. That's Constantine and his guys deciding it, not God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the apostles, disciples who wrote scripture. That's, that's Constantine. And he's not doing it because he loves God and Jesus, evidently. He's doing it as a military and governmental measure. He thought that's what would bring them the greatest wealth, the greatest protection, victories over other. Had nothing to do with spirituality, all right? And, and then shortly after that comes the Inquisition that lasted for hundreds of years where they killed people if they did not do church the way they said, okay? Literally, put them in prison, tortured them, and or executed them. And there's all kinds of differing numbers but it seems that hundreds of thousands to up to 10 or more million people were imprisoned, tortured, executed during the hundreds of years of the Inquisition by the church, who basically said, you do it our way or else, okay? And that way is the main way we have kept doing it. There were no buildings before then. Today we go to a building. There were no paid staff then. Today we have paid staff. Tithing was then. We still have tithing, even though in the New Testament it's not, it's not there. All right? Um, drinking and how much you can drink. And do you, you remember in, in that system, for hundreds of years they chained the Bible to the podium, and the normal people weren't even allowed to read it. It's just, do whatever we say, 
okay? And, and, and take it at face value. And even the translators, some of the translators who translated some of the versions of the Bible knew that if they didn't translate it in line with the current church doctrine, they would be imprisoned, tortured, or possibly killed. All right? And, and I believe that's where a lot of the mistranslations come from. That I grew up believing, living, until my spiritual mentor proved to me that's not what it says. That's not ever what it said. Okay? So do you want to live by what it doesn't say that came from a pagan king who was, who was doing it all for money, power, and control... Or do you want to do it God's way? It's about walking in the light. It's about love, kindness, justice, walking with God, helping as many as we can help, especially those who need help. And here's the entrance exam to being saved and heaven. It has nothing to do with attendance, money, drink or not drink, paid staff, build, nothing to do with any of those. Okay? So, which are you living today? And I would suggest that if you're living um, this way, go to church, don't drink, you have to tithe, church attendance is a mortal sin, uh, paid staff, uh, buildings, all this superficial um, judge people who aren't at church or who don't, I, I would suggest that maybe you're being deceived and you're not doing church and the kingdom and spirituality the way God intended and the way the early church did. And you're probably not taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ maybe a lot of them are taking you captive. And instead of love, joy, peace, and pain, you're likely stuck or in the deadfall, experiencing anxiety, stress, anger, rejection, low self-worth, frustration, etc. Okay? So, again, don't believe any of this because... I say, I would recommend you get the book, Pagan Christianity, read the research, the facts for themselves. Basically what they did was take everything we call church, go back and see where it came from. And that's, that's it. And they just are reporting that. Okay? But I believe this, why are we talking about it? Because it's critical to whether you're living free in Christ, which is what was intended or in bondage and captivity. And maybe you're saved, but you're still having your best life robbed and stolen away from you because you're believing and living these lies, and that's what lies do. They spike your stress. They put you into internal bondage and captivity. Um, heal, that, heal those memories. Start believing the whole truth. Uh, start taking baby steps to prioritize 
what God says to prioritize and what's important to Him, both in what we don't do and what we do do, all right? Wait on Him. Give Him control. When you have the negative thoughts, negative emotions, negative feelings, differentiate between negative emotions and feelings. Negative emotions are consistent with your circumstances. Negative feelings often are not. Um, like hope being in a panic over going to a party. Okay? Um, and every one of those is a little black or hot, red, negative energy producer inside us, just like a computer virus, okay? And the love, joy, peace are also inside us like a wonderful light, love, joy, peace power source, okay? And it's your choice, which you're going to do, which you're going to believe, which you're going to, okay? Um, so check this out for yourself. Don't just believe me, but what I want for you and what I believe God wants for you is for you to go from wherever you are for me, it was negative six in 1986 in my heart to plus seven today. And I don't even recognize that 1986 Alex. I look at him and think, what in the world? Kind of what Paul said. Who, 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 who tricked you into believing that? Which is what basically Paul said to the Galatians. Okay? And my focus... In, in 1986 on, now I would have said I believe in God, I would have said I believe in love, I would have said I'm trying to live in love, but my focus, my intention was on seek pleasure, avoid pain, what's in it for me? As an urgency. And these things that God says are of ultimate importance were secondary to me over my pleasure, my pain, what I want, when I want, what's in it for me, and being liked by other people. So trying to present a certain image, even if it's not what I was thinking inside. All right? Um, I hope this makes sense. I hope even more. You will want to meditate, pray, research for yourself, and make a commitment to... That four steps, number one, right with God, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Number two, um, intention for good only in everything. Number three, do my absolute best in everything. Number four, help as many as I can invest in relationships and love. Okay. So, um, I, I'm, I'm, this is probably the most pointed I've ever gotten publicly about some of these sacred cow church issues. I'm not trying to upset anyone. I'm not trying to, uh, again, is it wrong to go to church? No. Is it wrong to give 10%? No. Is it wrong to not drink? No but you're free in Christ about all of those things as well. And here are the things that God says he wants 
and he judges. And they are not these church things. Okay, let's take a look at church. Going to church. Let's just take a look at it, okay? All right? The first thing that comes to mind for me, thinking back when I was growing up and what I used to believe about God and church and, and the rules and all that stuff. Okay, first thing is um, going to church. Sunday morning, we have to go to church or it's a mortal sin. Sunday night, we have to go to church. Wednesday night, we have to go to church. Or Is that true? Uh, scripturally, I believe no. Not one time does it say go to church. Does it mean it's wrong to go to church? No, that's new wineskins. It's up to you. You're free. We're told to do stuff, but not how. And evidently to God, the kingdom is much more important than the church based on the times that it's talked about, and especially with Jesus talking about it 53 times as opposed to two with the church. And of the two Jesus talked to, where Jesus said church, none of those say go to church, or it's a mortal sin if you don't, or whatever. But he's always talking about the kingdom. They're walking along the road. Ah, I've got a story about a sower walking down the road. Ah, I've got a story about uh, uh, some servants who were given different amounts of money to invest. Uh, but always it's about the kingdom, not the church. Okay, so let's say we go on to church anyway, okay? Want to. Maybe don't have to, but want to, all right? Uh, building with pavement and people invest, telling you where to park. And it, it, was that in the new church? Absolutely not. No buildings until 300 and something after Constantine uh, hijacked Christianity for money, power, and control in, um, in that area of the world, okay? But that's okay. Doesn't mean it's wrong. You can do a building if you want to, I guess, even though it's not scriptural. It's practical, or at least it's practical in some situations, okay? You go in, sit in a pew or seat, and look forward like you were gonna, like you were watching a movie or a play or something. And then people come up and they do some things that you participate with, maybe like singing. But the other part is just uh, watching, like a show. And these days, sometimes it is a show. They have uh, uh, smoke machines and, uh, and lights and all kinds of special effects and all kinds of stuff. All right, is that here? No. Does that mean you can't do it? No, it doesn't, all right? But it means that if you are binding that, you know the scripture that says uh, at the end of the New Testament, if anyone should take anything away or add to, it'd be better if uh, uh, they were thrown in the ocean with a big weight around their neck. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty dramatic language, right, okay? What it means is you can't judge, you can't bind where Scripture doesn't bind. So if Scripture never says go to church, we, how do we bind that when Scripture 
And God, who breathed Scripture and inspired it, doesn't say that. All right? What does it say? Well, it says wherever, wherever two or more are gathered, I'm there. All right? Um, that, that sounds like part of the church to me. All right? Uh, it does not say if there's only one there, then he's not there. And I believe absolutely if, if, if it's just me, but I'm praying to God, worshiping God, talking to God, reading scripture, meditating, I absolutely believe he is there. And biblically, I believe he is there. Uh, Jesus and I are one, the mystery of the ages. God is all and in all. The Holy Spirit indwells me. My body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I believe even with one, at times he's there, but with two, it says... He's always there, all right? And if we don't go to church, but we are the church, and there's nothing in here about buildings or parking lots or classrooms or locations or whatever, then that means we could do church with you and me at Panera Bread or out in the park or on a beautiful day in a field or a backyard or in a home. Uh, evidently, the, the early Jerusalem church, as best we can tell, they didn't meet with everybody together. It was small groups meeting all over the place. And then when somebody like Paul or Peter or John or uh, Timothy or, or whoever came in, you know, one of the big guys, sort of, the apostles or whatever, yeah, then sometimes maybe all of the saints from Jerusalem would go out to a hill like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and they would all be together but it appears week to week they met in homes, they met in parks, they met in public places, they met uh, in homes, they met all over the place, all right? And we don't have any record of there being hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars of debt in order to buy a building and facilities and special effects and all that while children are going hungry, widows need caring for, they're sick, uh, there's strangers, there's prisoners, that God says, this is what I want you to be about, okay? When I was growing up, we didn't talk much at all about this stuff, about you know, helping people that need help. It would come up every once in a while, okay? And there'd be some meeting and, okay, should we give this person $50 or not? It always seemed they were really, really tight with God's money to me. And then the conversations, I, I, I worked at four different churches, so I was in those meetings. And very often the conversations were, well, but how will that affect our budget? And uh, it, it was amazing to me when I did full-time ministry how much of the conversation was about attendance and money. Absolutely unbelievable. And there's nothing in here about attendance and money. Um, Hope and I have worshipped at three different churches, uh, congregations, where we felt, wow, this is really the place for us. Um, uh, Great teaching, wonderful people, uh, just, just you know, felt right. Good vibe, okay? Felt, felt good. We left feeling like we'd really worshipped and got something and, and all of that. All three times, uh, 
those congregations started a building program. Once they started the build, building program, this is at three different churches over like uh, 25, 30 years, okay? Once they started that building program, the anointing in the church seemed to be gone. It just, like flipping a switch, it just changed everything. Now all of a sudden, instead of scripture and insights and, and uh, sharing with each other, almost like an AA meeting, our, our struggles and pains and all that, which you almost need a small group to do effectively, which is what the early church was. It was much more like AA than it was our current church situation, okay? Um, but then, the when the focus went to money, um, it, it, it dramatically changed the whole place. And we left all three churches um, because of that. The congregations, I mean. Sorry. See that early upbringing, okay? Um, so, we go in to see the show. Is that what they did in the early church? No. They went, it appears... The main reason they got together in the early church was to take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Jesus. But the Lord's Supper was not a little thing of grape juice or wine and a little wafer they stick on your tongue. It was a meal. It was absolutely a meal. Okay? Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, would you look more forward to going to what's in your mind as a church service, whatever that is, the way you've done it, and, and maybe you're doing it now, or would you rather go and meet 2, 4, 10, 12, 20 um, people that are dear friends of yours, that you know and love, that know and love you, for a meal where... You talk, you visit, you hug, you share what you're struggling with, you talk about how to maybe uh, deal with that. Maybe you talk about uh, some scriptures uh, and do remember Jesus, a toast to Jesus. Let's have a toast to Jesus. Um, that sort of thing. And maybe you even sing a song, especially if you're at a park or in a pavilion or or in a private home where you can, okay? doesn't have to be a song from a hymnal. It can be a rock and roll song that's about God and Jesus, and there are a bunch of those, okay? And just press play and sing along with it, or just do it yourself, okay? But they met together to have a meal. And I will tell you, there is something in human psychology and relationship that is just different. It just changes things. When you put your legs under a table together with someone else and share a meal. I've seen so many unforgiveness and uh, almost enemy kind of situations be healed over a nice, respectful, slow meal. Okay? And that's what the Lord's Supper was. And that's why they got together. And also, it appears, it was not always on Sunday. For one thing, where in here does it ever say the Ten Commandments were repealed, including 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It never says that. It talks about them getting together on the first day of the week, but maybe that was just expediency. Maybe, maybe that was just a good day. They didn't have to work or whatever, all right? What I, what I really believe, once you look at the research, is they got together all the time. They'd meet for lunch and talk about the Lord. They would meet uh, on Sunday, maybe, for a more official thing and have a meal and talk about the Lord and maybe sing a song or two. And during the week, if someone was struggling, they would contact someone and get together and maybe share a meal or a cup of coffee or a donut or something. But they were always contacting each other and in each other's lives and regularly planning to get together, but it was nothing, evidently, like our church services today. Okay? So what, what's my point? You're free! You're free in Christ! Jesus died to set you free. From what? From the law. The new covenant is freedom from the law. And Paul said, so then do not let yourself go back under that yoke of slavery, which is the law, and you have to do it this way, and if you don't, wham, you're toast, and God is just waiting for you to step out of line to whack you, and I've got to go punch my time card for attendance, for the Lord's Supper, for um, dressing right, for my actions and behavior. I've got all these time clocks to punch, all these to-do lists to do, and... I really think God looks down and is like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that complicated. You are free in Christ. It's all about the heart. It's all about your intention. It's all about your commitment. It's all about your choice for God, Jesus, love versus yourself, seek pleasure, avoid pain, and what's in it for me. Okay, I want to read a couple of passages before I wrap this up. The first one from Hebrews chapter 10, and starting in verse 25. And this is the passage about um, do not forsake the assembling of the saints. All right, and it's the proof text for. The number one proof text there is in Christendom for a command to go to church. But it's not. It's the wrong word. Okay? But let's read this because it's relevant and we need to look at the whole truth, not just part. So starting in verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. See? Meeting together doesn't say go to church. But let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Again, it's not about going to church. It's about the gathering of the saints when Jesus comes back. All right, now, I'm going to read a few more verses because this may seem to contradict what we've been saying about grace and, and having your golden ticket, but I don't believe it does. And I'll explain that, but let's read it first. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, 
No sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that, sacrificed, that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay. So, man, this sounds, this sounds apocalyptic. This sounds like biblical in the bad sense. Like, lightning strikes if you step out of line, right? Uh, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and how much more will you be punished in this situation, etc. Okay? Well, I believe you have to take Scripture as a whole. You probably heard you can prove anything by the Bible by taking one passage or other out of context, all right? I believe what uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying here is more that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the focus is not on the commandments, it's on the love. If, the, if, you, if you are sinning and not keeping the commandments, it's because you got a love problem. If you're loving right, based on that passage, you will keep the commandments. You won't sin more and more and more and more as this passage is talking about. So I believe what this passage is talking about is you're not committed to love if this is the way you continue to live and do it over and over and over and over even though every time you know there's a way of escape and that is not the path of love. That is not what God wants you to be doing, okay? Now, if your intention is Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I'm committed to him for life, okay? And yeah, I still mess up, but I am committed to him no matter what. I do not believe that's what this scripture is talking about. There's no one who is going to become a believer. Uh, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Maybe I'm baptized, etc. And then I never sin again. That person doesn't exist. All have sinned and fallen short. It's not of works. It's of grace, lest someone should boast. Okay? Um, grace with uh, faith without works is dead faith. Again, emphasis on the faith. As before, the emphasis was on the love, not the works. All right? So I believe what's being described here in Hebrews is a faith and love issue, not a sin issue. Because if you have the faith, if you have the love, God says in other scriptures, I won't have to worry about the sin. You won't do it. Or you won't do it as a matter of course. You'll fall, yes. But you won't do it just all the time regularly. Okay? So, um, I wanted you to know at least my two cents 
on this passage that many would say, and, and I heard this a lot growing up, you know what I heard about here from this passage over and over and over? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and um, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished? That's what I heard, all right? But to me, that's the effect, not the cause. And what's being said here is if you have this effect going on, you've got a love and a faith cause issue, all right? Um, let's go to one other one. Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. And in this passage, Paul, uh, in this area of 2 Corinthians, Paul has been talking about all their adversity, suffering, and pain. Shipwrecked, abandoned, um, uh, nothing to eat, no, good, no bed to sleep on. People are after me. People are persecuting me, saying bad things about me. And then um, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, For Christ's love compels us. That's it. Paul says it right there. The love of Christ compels us. What does that mean? It means it's not about the sin. It's about the love or fear and selfishness. It's about the faith or seek pleasure, avoid pain. Yeah, the people who continue to habitually sin, like the passage in Hebrews, yeah, I, I've got to, I'm not going to disagree with Scripture. I believe they will be punished, and it will be a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But not because he wants to punish them. He wills that all should come to repentance, and he paid the price for all. Okay? But he has to give us choice. And I believe the Hebrews passage is talking about someone who maybe... They have said, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior because they didn't like what hell sounded like and wanted to avoid that. But they have not really committed to Jesus. They've not really committed to love. They've not really committed to the present moment, giving up the end result. They have gone through a ceremony to try and get their golden ticket, but then they're continuing to live in the flesh just like they were. Okay? Paul said, no, 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 no. That's not where we're coming from. That's not the love of Jesus is what compels our actions and behaviors and attitudes and thoughts and feelings. The love of Christ is what compels that. Hebrews is talking about people who the love of Christ is not compelling. And because of that, they're continuing to do sin habitually. They're not, maybe, that's only up to God, really committed to Jesus. That's, I'm not saying they're not, but that's God's thing. But for sure, Satan has stolen their experience of a state of grace where they are righteous, holy, and declared sacred and are in a state of grace with the golden ticket. That is when you, from your heart, truly have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can say it and you can mean it. And every day, you're recommitting 
that way of life, that path, the high road, okay? So the bottom line to me is you are free in Christ to worship God as you please. We are supposed to never stop getting together, uh, touching each other. Uh, I'm not saying inappropriate touch. I'm saying appropriate touch. Uh, shaking hands, hugging, uh, pats on the back. Um, I'm with you. Uh, when we get together, it is totally real. There is no fake. There is no show. There is no... It is, it is real. It is relevant. Not to say that you can't do the shows. I don't see anything in here that says you can't do the smoke and the special effects and the lights and the stuff like that. But you sure can't condemn someone who does not do it that way, which is how I was raised. So I believe the message is we're free in Christ do it the way it works for you, but the one thing you have to do is love and accept. That's from John. That's from Jesus. It's all through Scripture. Uh, 898 times love. Fear not. 365 times the kingdom. 162 times versus two times talking about the church for Jesus. So, um, you are free in Christ. Do not let anyone put a yoke of slavery to the law back on you. Alright? And, and just because the way we do church isn't the way the early church did it doesn't mean it's wrong and we can't do it that way. But it does mean we can't judge other people who don't do it that way. And if you don't do it that way, I believe that's okay. Do it biblically you know, okay, don't ever stop getting with other believers. Don't, you know, do that constantly. You, you need it. They need it. Uh, but maybe try doing it over a meal instead of with a speaker and three songs and maybe try doing the meal thing. Meet somewhere, reserve a room, uh, reserve a pavilion, someone's backyard, someone's uh, family room, whatever, um, and, and be creative. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you and do it the way it works for you. Do it a new way. Do it a, an exciting way. Do it a way that fits this culture and the younger generation today. And I believe um, you'll be blessed and I believe God will bless that effort and fruit will abound from that. All right? So, um, again, you have the right to disagree with anything and everything I say. In this segment, that goes doubly true. Okay? So don't take any of this at face value because I said it. Uh, we've talked about the scriptures. We've talked about the history. I told you the book, Pagan Christianity, by George Barna and Frank Viola, who went back and, and studied all this stuff and came to those conclusions. Okay? Look at it for yourself. All right? And um, then pray and ask God, what should I do? And whatever that is, I would go with it. Make sure it's God. Test the spirits. But if God says, hey, go out to this field with three other people and a blanket 
and some wine and sandwiches and just sit there and talk about spiritual things and beautiful things and struggles you're having and love and support each other and pray and maybe sing a song while you're there together, um, read uh, some scriptures, have a toast to Jesus, okay? Uh, I believe biblically that's church. You don't go to church, you are the church, all right? So, um, you are free in Christ. I would love to see something started virtually where we had people all over the world who were together virtually and then those people met with little groups in their town, city, country, um, whatever. And um, being completely free in Christ, let's uh, let the Holy Spirit lead and guide us, let Scripture lead and guide us, let's do it a new way that is not boring, that we don't dread having to go to, that we look forward to, that we can't wait to be a part of because we love those people we're getting with, the meal is usually good, and um, that's my cocoon, that's my uh, mash unit. When, when I need something. That's my AA, sort of, with God and living a love-based spiritual life. All right? So, uh, <laughs> give me feedback. Uh, if you, uh, yell at me. Uh, uh, ask a question. Make a comment. Whatever. But let's start talking, and let's start enjoying this freedom that God gave us. Uh, I should be able to go through the day with no worry, no fear, unless a bus is about to hit me, uh, excited, I am saved, I am, I've got the golden ticket, I'm in a grace state, yeah, I may mess up and sin two or three times today, but not intentionally, and when I do, I'll get up, brush myself off, repent, confess, I'm so sorry about that, Father. Let's go on again, help me learn my lesson from that and move up a little higher and go again. And let me help people. Let me, that's my number one priority, invest in people and, and relationships, okay? And then, now, and then those four steps, right with Jesus, my intention for good only. Number three, do my absolute best. Number four, invest in relationships. Um, and people. And I believe you can get to a place of living in love, joy, peace like you never have before. It'll never be perfect, of course, uh, in this fleshly body, this side of heaven, but it can be terrific, really. Especially with an intimate, close group like that loving and supporting each other, and um, being blessed by God. So let me end with this question. In your life, day in, day out, does the love of Christ compel you? Or is it something other than the love of Christ? Is it money? Is it pain? Is it pleasure? Is it stuff? Is it independence? Is it pats on the back? Awards? Does anything except the love of Christ, the love of Jesus, 
compel you. Something compels you, or you would just lay in bed all day and do nothing. What is compelling you? And what is comp- and that can change. So maybe for six hours of the day, money in your business compels you. Okay, all right, and work's over. What compels you? Uh, that's to relax a little, okay? That's seek pleasure, avoid pain. What about after the relaxing a little? Well, then I watch TV about three hours, all right? What is that? That's seek pleasure, avoid pain. Then what do you do? Oh, then I go to bed, all right? Uh, do you have any time with God or Jesus then? Well, yes, yeah, maybe, maybe a couple of minutes. Well, do you think that's the ratio that, that God is looking for in our lives? Uh, this much love, being compelled by love, and this much being compelled by money and what's urgent and stuff and the to-do list? And No, I don't think so. I think we're supposed to be compelled by love of Christ Jesus, compelled by love, and everything else is down here. But what happens is when you're compelled by love versus fear, you do everything way better because you're, you're smartened up, loads of energy, immune system, working like the Hulk, creative thinking turned way up, um, you have better ideas, more, you know, everything, everything is better. And you do a better job and you're happier, you're more content. You feel like helping other people, where over here, you don't even feel like it. You're just barely keeping yourself hanging on, okay? So, this week, what compels you? Love or something else? If it's something else, you're on the wrong path, or at least you're on the wrong paths, um, maybe more than you should be. So, take a look at that this week. And then reset, recommit, the present in love, compelled by the love of Christ. To do that, you have to have a relationship with him, okay, which takes time. That's what prayer is, talking, like the Tevia prayer, pray without ceasing, turn those negative thoughts into a prayer. We've talked about all of that, all right? But um, what compels you? What inspires you? What causes you what is the motivation, although I don't like the word motivation because that's external, inspiration is internal. What is the reason for the things you do? Is it love or something else? And what percentage? 75% love? 25% love? Okay, whatever that is, basically, that's how your life going to go. If your love is at 25%, your life on the minus 10 to plus 10 is probably minus three, minus four, all right? If your love is 75%, you're probably over here at plus seven. Well, what's the difference in the experience of the day in those two days? There's no comparison. This is a fabulous day. This is a really bad day. This is a day I need a drink at the end and maybe a pill or two, I'm not talking opioids, but some supplement for reducing stress. I, I've got, I need that four hours of TV to reset and, you know, over here, hey, let's go do something. Even if it's just play a board game or, or uh, but let's interact and 
and do relational stuff and love-based stuff, okay? What compels you? Have a wonderful, blessed day.